Father God, Lord, I just ask that you, you come into this place, Lord. Come into our hearts. Reveal to us that you are here already, Lord. Uh, Lord, I ask that you prepare our hearts, soften them, Lord. Make, their, make our ears open and ready to hear all that you have in store for us, Lord, for this time. As you protect, prepare to give us your word, Lord, um, through my brother Andrew here, Lord. We ask that you, uh, you continue to just make his words ring true to your heart, Lord. Now, these are your words and not his, Lord. We pray that you, uh, you open up this place, may it all receive well, Lord, and in such a way that, that it carries out beyond these walls, Lord, to the, to the people we meet around us um, in the community as the week goes on, Lord. We give all praise to you. Um, may you bless this time, bless Andrew here, bless the, the souls and the hearts all around us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thanks, Mark. So today, uh, we get to continue our series through the Gospel of Luke. Um, today is one of those days where uh, our, our time in the Word gets to, to meet uh, the sacrament. Uh, we're we're going to share communion this morning um, after we hear what God has to say in Luke chapter 19. Um, but I, I wanted to really quick address the questions that we talked about at our tables. Uh, so for a quick show of hands, how many of you in your life have, have overreacted for something? And if your hand is not up, I know for a fact you are not telling the truth. <laughs> uh, so we, all, we all do this sometimes. There are things in our lives that just for some reason trigger like a, a, a visceral emotional reaction and we maybe take things too far, right? Uh, this this happens, happens to all of us. Um, I've, I've shared one of mine before uh, from, from the stage, from the pulpit, and I'm going I'm to share it again today. Um, so I am an avid blinker user in my car. So while I'm driving, uh, if, if something like a pothole or, or an accident happens in front of me and I need to swerve, I will instinctively turn my blinker on as I'm getting over to swerve out of the way of whatever's in front of me. Uh, this also happens when I'm leaving my driveway. I'll often turn my blinker on to let people know, you know, in my backyard that I'm, I'm turning left instead of right this time. Or if I'm, if I'm turning into my driveway, I'll just, it, it just happens for me. I, I can't help it. It's instinctive. It just, it just I, flip, I flip the thing and I, and I get over it. In fact, uh, there was one time Doug and I were driving. He was behind me. Um, I think we, were, we just got done with lunch or something like that. Uh, so I'm in the right lane of, I think we were on James, or was it Riley? Oops. I was on James. Um, and I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the lane, and suddenly a truck next to me is coming over, right, um, without, without warning. So I've got I've to kind of pull over to the right, and I flicked my blinker on, and I got into the turn lane and slowed down, and it all worked just fine. Uh, but I can't help but use my blinker. So when, when somebody in front of me or around me doesn't use their blinker, I don't know why, but it just elicits this gut visceral reaction that my, my heart starts to race, my blood begins to boil, my face gets a little bit red. Ellen can attest to this. Uh, I have to resist the urge to like lay on my horn or, or pull up next to them. And when you're in your car, it offers a little bit of anonymity, right? More than likely, the people around you are never going to see you again, so you can do whatever you want, right? Unless you drive like a, a really, really recognizable car. Uh, so we, we get into our cars and we have this sort of anonymity and maybe some of you are like lead foot, you know, 90 miles an hour, whether you're on the highway or not, uh, or like an aggressive driver if somebody is in the passing lane and they're not passing and you need to get in front of them to let them know to get over because they should only be in the passing lane when they're passing. We get into our vehicles and we have a little bit of anonymity. And people don't know, uh, they don't know who we are a lot of the time. And when you do run into somebody you know, like next to you in the car, you're like, okay, I've got to drive perfectly, 
perfect so that they, they know, right? Especially, you know, I'm a pastor at a church. If, if, I, if I speed even a little bit, they're going to know. Uh, so so we, have this, we have this thing about we get into our cars and we have some anonymity. I have to resist the urge not to lay into that anonymity and be whoever I want to be when I'm in my car when somebody doesn't use their blinker. All that to say is often uh, we react to things. Sometimes we, we overreact to those things. Uh, and when somebody doesn't use their blinker, I have to resist the urge to act like Jesus hasn't made a difference in my life. And it, that, seems like, that, that seems like a lot for a blinker, but it's, but it's true. It's one of those things that, that, that I've just got to lay out there and, and, and realize that the world doesn't revolve around me and you cannot use your blinker and that's, that's going to be fine. My, my mind tells me that when somebody doesn't use their blinker, it means they don't care about the safety of the people around them, even if that's not true about them. I've been going on a lot longer than I anticipated about this. <laughs> I may have overreacted just... Just a little bit. Uh, but we have these times, these moments in our lives where uh, we overreact. Uh, and, and sometimes it might seem like with our actions, with our thoughts, with our words, that we act in a certain way that doesn't seem like Jesus has made a difference. I want you to know that I've been there. I've been, been saved for just about eight and a half years, and I'm still there frequently. Uh, in the car for me, maybe it's a different place for you. Uh, in our story today, Jesus comes into contact with a man uh, named Zacchaeus. And for Zacchaeus, Jesus made all of the difference. And I want us to know two things by the end of today. The first one is no matter how far gone you think you are from, from grace, from mercy, or maybe how far gone one of your friends thinks that he or she is, you are never too far gone from grace and from mercy. And the second one uh, is this. It's just a question, uh, an honest question. If you were to look at the areas of your life, every nook and cranny, every crack and crevice, does Jesus make a difference? Um, Trent, <laughs> Trent reminded me this morning, right, uh, even, even syphilis makes a difference. We're talking about uh, a difference in our lives that makes us look like the risen Christ. Does Jesus make a difference? Uh, those are the two things I want us to take away from this morning. Uh, we're going to be in, in Luke chapter 19. It'll be up on the screen. I'll give you some time, uh, time to find that. And I want to remind us of two things going on. The first one is what's happening in the story, in the gospel of Luke. Uh, Jesus is almost done with his public ministry. He's on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, he's raised people from the dead. He's, he's preached. He's taught. He's healed. He's given sight to the blind. He's, he's allowed the, the, the lame to walk. Again, he's done all all these things in his ministry, and he has a, a pretty large following at this point. He's on his way to Jerusalem. The passion is just a few chapters away. He's on the road yet, and he comes through Jericho. So all, all this is sort of happening uh, in and through the Gospel of Luke, where we are right now. And just after Jesus heals a blind man, Jesus enters into Jericho. Now, the second thing I want to remind us of is what's going on when Luke is writing. Now, Luke is writing not just to the Jewish population of the day. Luke is writing uh, primarily to let the Gentiles know, the people who didn't belong to the children of God, that God's grace is for them. Salvation is for them. This is a sort of gospel to the Gentiles. Um, and this follows in uh, to Luke's second Act, second book, second story, the book of Acts. Um, when you read from one to the next, you get the sense. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, the presence of God. And then from there, the book of Acts, the spirit comes down and is sent into the ends of the earth. And that's kind of where we are 
in the story and in the context of what's going on in the day. So I'm going I'm to read through. We've got 10 verses we're just going to work through. I'm going to read through them and then back up for us. So you can follow along at the table. You have the NIV Bible. I'm reading out of the ESV, so it'll be just a little bit different, um, but you should be able to follow along. So chapter 19, verse 1. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. He was a shorty. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. And he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him joyfully. When they saw it, they all grumbled, the crowds surrounding them. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Father, thank you so much for, uh, for the gospel of Luke and the time that we've been able to spend working through. Um, Father, like Mark prayed, I pray that if there's something on uh, my heart that you don't want said, strike it from my memory. If there's something you want me to say, make it burn within me so I can't help but speak it. Thank you for your word written uh, thousands of years ago, though it's still transforming all of us in this room today. And that's what we pray for, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So uh, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. A lot of what Luke has to do uh, in his gospel, he talks a lot about Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, but we're just a few chapters away from that now. And he passes through Jericho. And in Jericho, there's a man named Zacchaeus, uh, who was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now these two things, chief tax collector and was rich, the way that uh, the, the, the nation of Rome taxed their people was that they would basically, uh, they would basically give out or, or sell to the, uh, the population rights to these taxes. So you would have a man, a tax collector, who would buy the taxes for Rome and then go and collect them. So he would, he would pay Rome and then collect what he could. And so often uh, the, the tax collectors, they would collect more than people were supposed to be taxed and then keep what was left for himself. Uh, Now, this man, Zacchaeus, he was a a chief tax collector, which isn't mentioned in other places in the Bible, uh, but he likely had people who were collecting taxes for him. Now, uh, these tax collectors were often Jewish and they were often hated because they would uh, tax and tax and tax and tax and tax until the people uh, had nothing left. They would strip them of, of everything that they had for their own gain, for their own personal uh, advancement, right? right? Uh, if you're focusing on your career, some people might do anything and everything to climb that corporate ladder. This is what a tax collector would do, anything he had to do to make himself rich. Now, how do you get rich if the way that you make money is by oppressing others? You oppress the crap out of others, right? So this, this chief tax collector, Zacchaeus, is rich, Meaning that likely, uh, not only has he uh, defrauded people of their money and taken uh, what wasn't his, but the people who are working for him have also probably been doing the same thing. And we keep on reading. Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So 
Ancient Israel, uh, Bible times, likely the Israelites, the people in this day were a little more than five foot, you know, five foot three, five foot six, not, not very tall. In fact, if you go to Israel, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the architecture is built for shorter people, and it, and it makes sense. Um, you go through, there's something called Hezekiah's Tunnel, uh, which is uh, in, 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 in Israel, and there are these two tunnels that, that go, I forget how many feet it is, but it's underground, and they, they meet uh, somewhere in the middle. And at some points, as you're walking through this, this tunnel that's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of feet long, takes a long time to get through, uh, you're you know, crouching down, and the rocks are right around. This is carved into the rock, and you've got two and a half feet of water uh, on, on the bottom that's, that's been flooded. So you're, for, for 30 minutes, Ellen, how, about how long was it, 30 minutes, walking through this tunnel? Um, the architecture wasn't made for people who are, well, Dutch, uh, but tall. <laughs> uh, so Zacchaeus, he, he was pointed out here, he's, he, he's a pretty short guy. Likely, I mean, he was probably five foot, a little less than five foot. Um, so if, if you are around that height, you might, you might get a sense of how tall Zacchaeus was. So he couldn't see Jesus. He wanted to. He couldn't see him. So he climbs this tree, you know, like, like you do, uh, to see the guy who's coming into town. <clears throat> now, what I love about this story uh, so far is Zacchaeus, this chief tax collector, I'm imagining him, and I know he wasn't, but I'm imagining him in like a three-piece suit, right? Like a power suit of a businessman. And he is climbing this tree frantically to get a look at Jesus, uh, this, this guy who would have uh, people surrounding him. So I'm imagining somebody like, and this is just you know, like, like Bill Gates climbing a tree to get a, get a view of somebody walking down the street. It's, just, it's like a funny sight. And I know he wasn't wearing a three-piece suit, but it's this funny sight of Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector who had people working for him uh, and who was rich climbing this tree just to get a glimpse of who Jesus was. Right now we're starting to get uh, into the heart of Zacchaeus's life and his transformation. Passionate guy, short. So... He ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For Jesus was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, Jesus looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now, whether, uh, we don't know exactly why Jesus must stay. In fact, it looked like he was supposed to be kind of just passing through Jericho. But while he's there, he's got to stay with this chief tax collector, Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus jumps down joyfully. Uh, Again, I'm imagining this businessman in a three-piece suit who's like five foot flat, just like giddy and giggling that he gets to come down the street and gets to meet Jesus face to face. He hurries down and comes down and receives Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. The crowds surrounding Jesus start to grumble. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now, this is, this is really interesting. Jesus at this point has been known to interact with sinners. He's been known to, uh, to come into contact with sinners and often heal them or offer them some sort of grace and mercy. It seems like uh, Jesus is supposed to be coming into town and ridding God's people of this oppressive Roman rule. And now it seems like he's getting cozy with the enemy, the people who are taxing, overtaxing these people. Jesus is getting cozy with the enemy. And and Zacchaeus doesn't need to be healed. He doesn't have any ailments, it doesn't seem like. He's just going to his house for a meal. Jesus, what are you doing? You should be coming in a white horse with a sword and overthrowing these people who are overtaxing us. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, 
since he also is a son of Abraham. Now, let's look at the life of Zacchaeus. Luke, as he's going around putting together this gospel, is asking people about the stories that he's heard. And Zacchaeus comes up, and Luke finds out this is a known sinner, a tax collector, somebody who's been oppressing others for his own personal gain. And Jesus walks into his life, and what does Zacchaeus do? He says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, our story fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to the house, to this house, since he also was a son of Abraham. Jesus is saying, Zacchaeus belongs to God, Yahweh, the God of Israel. Uh, Zacchaeus, in this transformation, Let's think about the relationships that he's involved with. So if he's a known sinner, a chief tax collector, he's got people working for him who are tax collectors who are overtaxing the people of this day, uh, participating in this sort of oppressive rule that Rome has. Zacchaeus makes this change. Not only does uh, he give half of his goods to the poor, uh, but he repays people fourfold, which is more than the Old Testament says he has to. Zacchaeus is making this massive transformation. As Jesus enters the picture, Zacchaeus, who's a known and notorious sinner, offers up the things that he's done and says, I'm going to give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've defrauded anybody, I'm giving them fourfold back. I'm not just paying them back, not just double, not just with interest. I'm giving them fourfold. Now, what about the people who work for Zacchaeus? What about those relationships? Those are going to get really messy really fast. The people who, who don't want to repay uh, the things that they've done to others for their own personal gain, now Zacchaeus has to deal with. This transformation that happens when Jesus enters the picture into a notorious sinner's house, uh, he now has to reconcile these relationships that have been uh, just circulating around sin and oppression. Without a show of hands, how many of you have somebody in your life that you can think of uh, who, who doesn't know Jesus and you think, yeah, it would take an absolute miracle for that person to come to church. Not only just to, to come to church, but to begin to bear fruit for the kingdom. Uh, that, was, that was me before Christ entered my life. In fact, many of the people, I, I think, around me, uh, you would say, yeah, uh, Andrew, um, yeah, he found Jesus, you know, back in high school, middle school, yeah, Andrew found Jesus. People, what? When people find out that I'm, that I'm a pastor, I'm a pastor, and I said, I, I am a pastor, uh, people are often flabbergasted, but I've, I've got some people in my mind that I think uh, there's no way, even though the grace of Christ reached me, the grace of Christ could reach somebody like that. And that's gut-wrenching for me to say because I was a recipient of that grace, of that mercy, and of that miracle. The two things that I want us to know before the end of today is that no matter how far gone you think you are or maybe somebody that you know, like uh, we, we were talking as a staff, um, I forget who I was talking with, uh, there, are, there are people in my life, and I'm sure there are people in your life who aren't concerned about the hypostatic union or exactly how the presence of Christ uh, is in communion or what baptism means or, uh, you know, or the fact that you know, a few of our songs are upbeat on a Sunday morning uh, be because their lives are an absolute mess. It's the last thing on their mind. This is, this is Zacchaeus 
Zacchaeus, who was, who was too far gone to be saved, who was a notorious sinner, a chief tax collector. We see Jesus enter the picture, and everything changes for Zacchaeus. One, you are never too far gone to receive the grace and the mercy, the love of Christ. And you might think of some people in your life that you, you think, yeah, they're, they're way too far gone. Uh, or, or maybe they think that they're way too far gone and your heart cries out for them. I want to encourage you. Invite those people to Mosaic at the Moors on Thursday at the Elbow Room at 7. Uh, bring, them, uh, bring, them, bring them here Sunday morning. You'll find uh, you don't have to have the pressure of introducing Jesus and that transformation all on your own. That's what the body of Christ is for. Bring them into your house. Because I know in my life, if somebody hadn't done that, I don't know where I would be today. One, you are never too far gone, nor is anybody that you know too far gone from the grace and mercy of Christ. And the second one I want to ask us is, uh, does Jesus make a difference? And not just does Jesus uh, make a difference, but is he conforming you to his image? Let's talk about a few of the uh, environments, the situations we find ourselves in that he might make a difference. Parents in the room, does Jesus make a difference in how you parent your children? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not a parent, apparently. Um, but does, <laughs> thanks. Thanks for the giggles. Does he make a difference in, in, in how you pray with your kids? In, 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 in what you uh, train your kids up in the passions and, 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 and the loves that they have? Uh, or maybe, maybe you, your primary circle of influence is, uh, is at your work. Does Jesus make a difference in, in, in how you do your work? In how you treat the people at your work? Does Jesus make a difference in, in the amount of integrity you show the people around you? Uh, whether that's you know, taking a longer lunch break than you're allotted or whatever that might be, does Jesus make a difference in, uh, in the places that you work? Does Jesus make a difference when somebody in front of you didn't use their blinker and you really think they should so you have the urge to get up next to them and stare at them, you know, making eye contact just so they know that you know that they didn't use their blinker? Does Jesus make a difference in those silly areas of your life? Uh, if you were to take a look at all these things, uh, where you work, your relationships, um, how you talk with one another, how you interact uh, with people. If you were to strip away everything that, that Jesus has to do with it, if you take away um, everything that, if you, if you take Christ away from your life, my, my question for us, honestly, and this isn't supposed to be like, yeah, you should think about this, but honestly, would things look a lot different? Would things... Uh, would things change if you removed Christ from your life? And again, that's, that's not to say he should and you know you have those areas, but I want us all to look at the circles in our life. Look at our relationships. Has Jesus made a difference in those areas? Honestly. And then if there's areas that like, you know, I've, I've kept him out of that spot. I want to ask you just to let the guard down there. Let him into that area. Let him into that circle. Let him into that nook and cranny. Uh, this last line in the text here. Some of us have felt too far gone. Some of us have felt that parts of our life are too far gone, uh, that those will never be redeemed by Christ. They can't. Um, or we have friends who feel like they are too far gone, too, uh, too lost, just too, too far away from anything that might resemble grace and mercy. 
The crowds are looking at Jesus and Zacchaeus, and they're kind of like shaking their heads. How could he go into the house of a sinner? He's cozy with the enemy, and Jesus says this. Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The grace and mercy of Christ, the presence of Christ, isn't for those who are already clean. It is, because it's for everybody. It's for the broken. It's for the lost. It's for the ones who have who've hurt others. The grace and mercy of Christ is for the ones who are the oppressors and the ones who have received oppression. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Uh, we're going to enter into the sacrament of communion. Um, this, this is something we get to experience mysteriously. The presence of Christ nourishing us as the body, united by the Spirit. I'm going to pray, and Doug's going to come on up, and he's going to share the words uh, of institution, and we're going to share in communion together today. But I want you to know, this sacrifice that we remember today is for the ones who are too far gone, is for the ones who feel like they could never receive the grace and the mercy of Christ. Not only that, but as we remember this sacrifice, as we share in communion, uh, let's invite Christ just to enter into every corner of our lives, of our heart. So that if we stripped him away, we'd have nothing left. Let's pray. Father, you are good, you are holy, and you are worthy of praise. Prepare our hearts, Father, to receive communion and to remember the sacrifice of the cross. Help us to leave transformed, uh, being conformed to your image. Thank you for your faithfulness. Give us hearts to experience and receive this means of grace, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.